Welcome to another episode of Coffee and Conversations, where we look at the intersection of relationships, faith, and leadership. I am one of your co-hosts, Michael Clark. And I'm Christian Harden. We're so glad you joined us. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Coffee and Conversations. And today, Christian, I am so excited because we're on the road. We are on the road again. We're not in the studio. On the road again. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and we're actually at a local coffee shop. We are, finally. In Knoxville. It's Coffee and Conversations at a coffee shop. Hold up. In East Knoxville. In East Knoxville? Come on now. They have that. It's happening. There's it's a couple. And this is probably one of my favorites. Don't yeah. tell anybody down the street. And Knoxville's is one of my favorites. Actually true. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. So we're at Likewise. Likewise Coffee. Which, if you guys don't know, is a, is a coffee shop supporting an organization, mm-hmm. which is who we're going to be interviewing today, our guest in studio, Will Boggs. Awesome. Will? Thanks for having me, guys. So Man, excited to be here. So yeah. excited to have you. So um, I know a lot of folks in town may not know you, but you're pretty well connected already, which is pretty impressive. Um, after getting to talk to you a little bit, I'm like, man, Will, you know Will? You, what? Will Boggs? Will Boggs? And, and we're not talking about the baseball. Was there a baseball player? That's Wade Boggs. Oh. I get asked that all the time. <laughs> Are you related to Wade Boggs? That's no, my dad. No, I'm not. I play in a pickup softball league, though, so that's about that's as close as close. it gets for me. That's pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> Some uh, recreational wiffle ball. Yeah. So, Will, I told you a little bit of what we, our listeners are used to us doing, which we go every which way with this, but um, I just love for folks to get to know you a little bit, share a little bit about your story, where you come from, uh, what's happening in your life now, you know, just if it's marriage, kids, ministry, all of the above, yeah. um, just share a little bit about yourself, and then... Um, um, kind of how you got here. Yeah, all the things. So um, I am originally from North Carolina. That's where my parents still live. Um, ended up going to the University of South Carolina for college, which is where I met my wife, Katie. Uh, we were both very involved in young life growing up in, in, in college. And then my actual degree, my business, it, it, my background is in international business. And so that's kind of what initially prompted us into moving into this direction of what raising a voice is and, and is continuing to become. Um, my wife is from Maryville, so that's kind of what brought us back here. We okay. ended up um, getting the opportunity to travel a lot, been overseas many, many times, have part of our ministry overseas as well, um, and came back for, for grad school for, for Katie to go to UT um, get her master's in sport management. And that's, God just kind of radically changed our plans during the time that she was here, um, the year prior to grad school and the two years while she was actually getting her master's. Um, didn't know that we were going to end up in Knoxville long term, but just God made it very evident and apparent that this is where he was calling us to be. And so we moved our, our life full-fledged into East Knoxville here and, and started a the local component of, uh, of raising a voice and ended up buying and going through a, a lengthy renovation process to, mm-hmm. to start to open likewise in this old uh, 1910 house that we're in. So wow. yeah. 1910. That's incredible. 1910. Tried to keep as much of it as original as we could with hardwood floors and, yeah. and you know, the, the, the doorways and then the knobs to the doors and, and all the different features, baseboards, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's so. incredible. It's incredible. So you ended up, uh, so you, you already mentioned raising a voice, which if folks don't know you and don't know what that is, um, 
you, you can tell a little snapshot on, on what, what in the world is raising a voice. And then I'd love for you to share just how did you even get started on that journey and some of the, the trips that you took when you were in undergrad and then how that was fun. I mean, just some incredible stories to me when I yeah. first heard them. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Raising a Voice is, a, is an anti-trafficking ministry primarily. So we work with vulnerable and exploited women all around the world. Um, but really, our, our focus here is one of the, there's two, th- two ways that we tell people that we work with uh, people that are being exploited or vulnerable people. And there's two ways that we primarily help them. It's, it's one, creating a social support structure. Um, when people are known and when people are heard and people are valued and people are in a relationship with others, their vulnerability decreases significantly because people are caring for them. People are loving them. People are showing them affection. People are showing them their self-worth and their value. Um, so a lot of our, our, our whole relation, our whole ministry is relationship based. Um, and then the second thing to really create uh, opportunities to work with vulnerable and exploited people and to really help them long-term is to develop the community as a whole. And so that's really what Likewise is all about is is providing good coffee, providing a good space for people to have meetings, to study, to read, to do whatever they're here to do, um, but to create a space for people to gather, for people to create a, an opportunity for people to come to East Knoxville and see what it's actually like. Uh, but, but Raising a Voice, we, we started uh, overseas. That's, we've been around as a, as a ministry for about six years, but the first, honest, the first half of our ministry was we were solely overseas. Um, we started raising a voice with a one-year, what we call a vision trip, uh, to learn what trafficking, to learn what exploitation and vulnerability looks like in different cultures based on different uh, socioeconomic statuses, based on the economies, based on religion, based on culture, based on just different factors in all of these different countries to see what creates vulnerability and exploited people in each of those places. And so we got the opportunity to travel and meet with so many of these organizations doing amazing things all around the world, kind of figuring out, hey, let's learn from what they've done well. Let's learn from the challenges that they've faced. Um, and let's figure out how we can enter into working into this industry um, after that trip. So really what prompted it in the beginning was I actually got the opportunity when I was in Thailand and uh, right out, out of college, I did a trip called the World Race. Uh, had the opportunity to work with a ministry in the red light district of Chiang Mai, Thailand. And just saw the, the brokenness and saw the hurt and saw the, the need. But also very much so saw how God prepared me through having a business background and having a business mentality um, in order to start to help them rehabilitate and integrate back into society through jobs that that all of these women entering or exiting the sex industry are going to need jobs and going to need some type of stability in order to support themselves and their families and so that's kind of where the passion started to develop and um, I'd say the rest is history but I mean it's been a lot of ups and downs throughout the years of um, continuing to work overseas and then just really feeling a calling to work here in East Knoxville uh, just not wanting to ignore what was happening in our backyard for only things that are happening overseas. And so we decided to, to kind of commit to East Knoxville and really go all in and helping vulnerable and exploited women here in East Knoxville. And so that's how we ended up living here and being here and 
trying to get to know people in Knoxville and partnering together with, with all sorts of organizations. And so you, there is a, a number of people, a staff, so to speak, with Raising a Voice yeah. um, that are living here in East Knoxville. Is that correct? Yeah, so all, pretty much all of our staff here in East Knoxville live here in East Knoxville. I mean, it's not just a... That's like a requirement, correct? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not just a job that, that people come to do and come to East Knoxville. We understand the challenges more so because we live here. Um, our, our house is really close to the drop-in center, uh, where we serve women. Our house is really close to likewise. We, we know the challenges that exist in this community because we see them every day and our staff see them every day. The, you'll never hear us refer to the women that we serve as clients. That's a big focus on ours Mm -hmm. because we don't see them that way. We see them as our neighbors. We see them as our friends because they very much so are They're we see them all the time because we're in this community all the time. It's not just a, a ministry or a job where we check a box and, and head back home to another part of the city. We live here. Um, it, it makes the, the lines of separation of, of work and rest kind of blurry at times. Sure. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's really sacrificing all that we have, all that we can do in order to help uh, vulnerable and exploited women and, and people here in East Knoxville. That's one of the intentional values I just love yeah. about what they do, Christian. It's, it's that theology of neighboring it that is. we've been talking about since for kind yeah. of a, long, a little bit, a few months. Yeah, it's yeah. been on my heart too. So that's awesome. Uh, so tell us a little bit. I mean, you don't just go out and decide. You know what? I think I'm going to start a anti-trafficking organization, or I'm going to go on a trip to Thailand to do like. Who were some folks that even just developed in you um, the aptitude in your faith? to want to materialize it into action and were there people was it was it your parents were you just raising an incredible home will i don't know was wade boggs like just killer and hitting ra- home oh, no. runs <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even his dad's name hitting but. home runs taking international <laughs> trips yeah um no i mean Who i formed I, you I, yeah i think my my parents have, have obviously been very instrumental in in some of the the mentalities that that are have been instilled throughout my entire life, the, the hard work, the work ethic, the wanting to help other people, the really, the call, the, the desire to find a calling and to find a passion and go after it with all you have. Um, my, my dad, my family's owned a small business for, for generations. And so that, that small business, whether I, I realized it or not, um, was kind of ingrained in me, hmm. um, just through, through seeing that. But I, I think from the faith component, uh, a youth, my youth leader in high school was very instrumental to me. Uh, my grandmother as well, just very much so valuing going to church, being involved in a faith community, uh, being involved in, in making faith an integral part of your life. Um, I think in, in college, just really being involved in young life, really seeing that uh, how we can impact people through relationships, but being a Christ follower. And, and bringing that into our relationships is a central focus. Um, but then inter- internationally, I, I think one of the the biggest breakthroughs for, for me personally when we were starting Raising a Voice is we got mentored by, his name's Jeff Shaw. He was the executive director of Out of Darkness, which is an anti-trafficking ministry based in Atlanta. Um, and, and really, he helped to me to see that, you know, Katie and I's backgrounds are not social work. We're not counselors. Those are extremely needed tasks and extremely needed specialized positions in, in the work that we do. But that's just not our skill set. That's just not what God called us to do. Um, and so we honestly, before we started an organization, we were looking to work with other organizations and just join another staff. 
Um, but we really felt like God called us and, and built skill sets in us that really weren't being represented in the anti-trafficking field um, through having a relational-based mindset and through having a business-based mindset. We really just didn't find an organization that we fit and jived really well with. And uh, Jeff was the one that kind of encouraged us, hey, God given, God's given you these specific skills and these specific passions and this specific vision based on what he has already brought you through. Um, and so, you know, what we really try to share is, you know, anti-trafficking work, working with vulnerable people, working with exploited people, you have to have social workers, you have to have counselors, but you also have to have doctors and you have to have nurses and you have to have teachers and you have to have business owners. You have to have all of these different things coming together to really holistically help vulnerable people because the reality is, trafficking um, survivors, they're encountering teachers, they're encountering doctors, they're encountering all of these different professions. And these professions need to be aware of the issues, but they also need to be able to spot and help refer them and help them get to the right places. And so it's bringing all types of people with all different types of skill sets really to help vulnerable people and not just social workers and counselors, though they're very, very important. Yeah, wow. So, Christian, I don't know if you know this, but so you're in Raising a Voice is in Kenya. Yep. It's in Argentina. Argentina and Rwanda is our newest one. I did not know about Rwanda. Yeah, so, yeah, that's awesome. um, yeah, so in Kenya, we our, our staff in Kenya is all Kenyan. Um, mm-hmm. Being able to raise up local leaders is a, is a huge priority of ours. Um, and being able to invest into them through through time and through money and through vision and through strategic development. Um, but in, in Kenya, we work with teenage moms. Um, most of them are coming out of a Muslim-dominated slum in downtown Nairobi, uh, living very much so in, in vulnerability, facing exploitation very often, but getting them access to education, getting them access to counseling, um, having businesses that actually help train them into jobs and how to enter into the workforce is kind of what we do in Kenya and in, in Argentina, we, we do a lot with, with safe housing um, for moms and for, for women exiting the sex industry with their, with their children often. Um, and so it's how do you help them get the counseling? How do you help them get their medical needs addressed? If they have immigration needs, if they have um, you know, educational aspirations so that they can further themselves and they can further them fa- their, their families in, in terms of getting, you know, higher paying jobs. Uh, that's kind of what we do in Argentina. And then really in, in Rwanda is our newest one. Uh, we had a staff member join, uh, come on board with Raising a Voice. Uh, she and her now husband moved here in, I believe, February. And she'd been involved with a ministry in... Rwanda, largely the it's, it's partnership with a church there in Kigali. The church is largely made up of vulnerable, exploited, homeless women in prostitution. That, that's their, their typical congregation on a day. And so what we do in Rwanda is actually run a school largely for their children and for other community members' children's. Um, so that you're stopping the the generational effect of, of trafficking and of prostitution and of just exploitation as a whole. So. Wow. So do you find education is one of the key issues that if it's not addressed, there's a, there's a, a, a low ceiling? Yeah. I mean, potential, I, think, or? I think you've got to have some form of education, especially in some of these lower income countries. Um, they, they've got to have education 
in order to get good jobs so that they're not living on the streets or they're not living in informal settlements or slums, um, that they're actually having the education that backs the type of job that they want, that they can support themselves. Um, But I think really for us is not just addressing trafficking through education or through awareness, but actually Mm -hmm. directly in um, what, what most people would refer to as rescue and I'll, I'll kind of refer to it as relationships, um, mm. is, is meeting women on the streets. That's what we do here in East Knoxville yeah. is going on outreach and handing out essentially little hygiene bags that, that kind of share, Hey, here's something that can help you right now, but here's a card. This is what we do. This is what we're about. We're here yeah. to help you come. Um, and then also restoration is extremely important. Um, and that's what we do a lot in, in Argentina primarily, but um, kind of what we're looking to get into here long term is um, a lot of people have faced exploitation and a lot of people have faced um, a lot of vulnerability. So how do you help them cope with the trauma? How do you help them cope with their life experience? And how do you give them a solid foundation and infrastructure through jobs and through housing and through a community to support them so that they can holistically support themselves long term? That's incredible. Yeah, a lot of that must come from your days in young life with meeting them where they are. Yes, yeah, I mean, meeting them where they're at. I mean, we are in East Knoxville because we want to be accessible to the women that we serve. Yeah, Um, You know, being 30 minutes away for people that are reliant on the bus lines or for people that don't have their own cars, that's, that's not super practical to them. We want to be able to not only walk out of our door to meet them, but we want them to be able to walk to our door so that they can get the services they need, whether that be, you know, something as simple as having a hot shower or getting new clothes or something a little bit further down the line, like getting an ID or, you know, helping to address maybe legal issues that they may have or custody issues or or all sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm really curious uh, what what you would say to folks listening that are maybe naive to to know kind of the ins and outs of what is happening right here in East Tennessee and and what that looks like because you've you've described well kind of the places you're serving around the world. But I remember for myself 20 years ago being in Los Angeles, I worked with an organization out there, and there was a group of folks that built the relationships. Mm-hmm. But we got to tag along on what they can, they called like their rescue nights. So it was girls that they had been talking about, and I'm talking about like 14, 15, maybe 16-year-olds, um, some from right across the border right there in Mexico, um, many of them just working to kind of um, to, to basically stay alive, and, and maybe they were addicted at this point. I don't, you know, so many nuances to the story at that point. But the Johns would be on the corner and watching a couple of girls. But we were a part of this strategic night where they had already built a relationship and talked to the girls. They knew when we arrived there was the lady handing out the roses to continue that, that conversation. But this was rescue night. So we're in a big van, <laughs> and it's about to go down. So we're grabbing girls, and we're driving off as fast as we can back to the headquarters, which at that point, the John is also chasing us. Hmm. And it's pretty, pretty scary. Like, I remember this one particular night. We get back there, and they're making phone calls back to, you know, I worked at the Los Angeles Dream Center. 
And there's guys that are um, in this discipleship rehabilitation program that have broken every commandment, you know, all 10. And so there's some bad dudes. And I'm, I'm like, I'm not messing with them either. And they're lining the block as the van comes in and they part in the middle and the van pulls in and they seal back up the entrance and the John just keeps on driving and he knows he lost one. You know, but it was like, that was just the beginning for that girl after that relationship, the rescue. Now it was the rehabilitation, which was going to take some time and a process. But does that happen in Knoxville? What does it look like in the context you're working when you're talking about vulnerable exploitation? Um, What what does that look like here in East Tennessee? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, a little different from the story you just shared. I mean, really kind of what we share with people is, right, I mean, working in in anti-trafficking, working with people in the sex industry, people often ask like, how dangerous is this? And and we're not naive enough to think that there's no danger. But what I'll say, which is I think a very saddening thought is why we often say social support structures are key to helping vulnerable and exploited women. Because right, my wife, for example, not the the prime target to be trafficked, right? If, If something happens to her, I'm calling, my parents are calling, her parents are calling, our friends are calling. There's a lot of attention there, right? A trafficker is going to focus on somebody that has no social support structure that can maybe disappear without people knowing and or caring. So maybe that's um, people that don't have a great family support system, or maybe it's people aging out of foster care, or maybe it's people that had their their caregiver, their whether that be their parents or an aunt, an uncle, grandmother, maybe pass away at an early age and they've been left to fend for themselves uh, at an early age. And so that, that makes them very vulnerable to being exploited down the road. Uh, what, what I often say is, you know, it's not as dangerous as people think because it's easier for a trafficker to exploit another woman than it is to go after one that has a social support structure now. Um, so it's sad. It, it, it makes what we do not as dangerous, but it's sad that it's that easy to exploit somebody else because there's that many women that just don't have a social support structure. But yeah, I mean, here, here kind of in East Tennessee and and in East Knoxville, um, there's, there's just a lack of opportunity. Um, oftentimes, whether that be, and, and some of that's because education, they didn't have an education. Some of that might be a criminal record. Some of that might be mental health. Some of that might be addiction. Um, it's all of those things kind of, taken in one into a bottle and shook, shook up and it's all that those things that are factoring into their lives. I mean, here in East Knoxville, you're, you're talking about, you know, gangs and violence and food and dis- food inequality and food disparity and lack of jobs and the criminal record and just lack of services to help with mental health and addiction. And, and those are all limiting opportunities. And most, most people here in the United States have been um, sexually abused as a minor. That's it's. I won't say a prerequisite. That might be a little bit strong of a word, but the vast majority of mm-hmm. women working in the sex industry were um, ex- sexually abused as a minor. Um, and so, being able to to spot that, to be able to spot yeah. some of those warning signs, to be able to provide a social support structure. But then there's there's the reality that kind of two things that that we refer to is. Uh, first off, it's like a Romeo pimp type s- scenario. It's essentially a boyfriend or a male figure that showers love and affection to some of these women that maybe don't have the self-worth or the self-dignity or people showing them love throughout their life. And then when somebody shows them to them, that they're drawn to that. 
And basically those Romeo pimps are essentially grooming these women into being exploited. And that's, that's, a, that's a very common scenario here in, in East Knoxville and East Tennessee and in the United States as a whole. But there's also just a lot of trafficking and a lot of exploitation amongst family members um, because that's what they've known and that's what they're, they've seen their mom do and that's what they've seen their sister do or their grandmother do. And, and so there's some you know, exploitation that's happening amongst you know, mothers to daughters or grandmothers to daughters. And, and those are, are common scenarios. And um, just anytime, you know, things start to get intertwined with drug addiction and with homelessness and poverty, you know, once desperation enters, you know, a lot of people think they're a lot further removed than they really are. But when you're, you're fighting every single day to survive, you would probably be surprised what you would end up doing in order to survive and and that's the reality of the women that we serve that's they're fighting to survive every single day um and they're doing what they feel like they have to or they're doing what they've been taught and what they've learned growing up um and they often don't see any type of opportunity to get out and 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 Mm -hmm. really for us kind of when they hit rock bottom that's our our opportunity to really step in and provide an opportunity to, to make a change when they hit rock bottom is often when they're ready to do something different and, and rock bottom is, is knocking on their door pretty, pretty much every day, whether that be a, a violent encounter or a uh, losing custody or getting evicted or all, there's there, getting an STD, all of these things that rock bottom is, is very much so knocking on their door every single day. And, and often when, when they hit rock bottom is when there's, there's a desire to make a change. And so we try to, mm-hmm. you know, really capitalize on those opportunities. Do you find that the relationships that your staff um, are developing with folks, um, is, is there a preventative nature in those that you see are vulnerable because of the lack of social support and social equity? Is there a preventative nature to, um, to before they have to get to rock bottom even that keep I mean, them from going down that path any further? Yeah, I, I think that... We're, that's not the relationships we're honestly focusing okay. focusing on. I mean, we're we're focusing on women that are pretty much already in active addiction, active exploitation. Um, but but relationships are kind of like you're saying they're they're essential to what uh, to pre- to preventing vulnerability and to preventing before they're even on their radar. Yeah. basically. Yeah, um, those I need mean, to happen. Kind of what we we share with with volunteers that come to to volunteer with raising a voice is. The, the relationships that they know, they're either manipulating somebody or they're being manipulated. And that's their only types of relationships. And so when you have a relationship, that, a healthy relationship with boundaries and with, um, you know, proper protection in place, like, hey, we're not here to get anything from you. We're not here to, to take anything from you. We just want to love you. We just want to support you. We're just here to serve you. And we want to see better for you, mm-hmm. not for our own personal gain. Yeah but for, for your betterment. Um, but I and, don't trust you. Yes. Yeah. No and one's so ever you're, meant that. Yeah. 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 You're building trust. I mean, that's yeah. what we're, when, when we first started the, the challenges that we faced was you have to build trust in this community and you have to convince them that a, you're not trying to exploit them by being an undercover brothel yourself or B that you're not an undercover cop. Um, mm-hmm. and those are very real things here. Um, and so it's building that trust, building that rapport and, yeah. You know, when you, when you have so many relationships that have broken trust, building up trust is a very difficult and time-consuming, lengthy process. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Wow. 
Christian, I'm always blown around, blown away to to hear just kind of what what folks in our community are doing. Uh, yeah, like Will, you wouldn't really know it's any of that's going on, right? Unless like you're connected somehow or in, in a global hub right here. Yeah, from East Knoxville, and so um, we're going to go into some more leadership questions. But before we do, um, I'm going to let Christian ask what we call our rapid fire. All right, this is just a little fun kind of switch up the uh, kind of the speed of what we're talking about. But uh, yeah, they're they're fast questions, but slow answers usually. <laughs> that's yeah, that's my life. <laughs> uh, sorry, let's do it. <laughs> well, this is the part of the podcast where we move into our rapid fire questions, where the questions are fast but the answers are slow. <laughs> Yeah, let's get a kick. Uh, So, Will, the first question is your favorite movie. And I describe that as the movie that it's you turn on the TV after a long day of work, and it's in the middle of it, but you don't care because it's your favorite movie. Favorite Mm. movie. Um, My wife and I are huge Harry Potter fans. Um, I am very biased to think that The Goblet of Fire is my favorite. Um, <laughs> there have been many, many arguments in the Boggs household as Uh-oh. rankings of Harry Potter movies, but I'm going to go Harry Potter, Goblet of Fire. And that's the... The fourth one. fourth one. Yeah. Gotcha. Incredible. So he can start it anywhere in the movie and, and just pick like, it up. Yeah. I mean, it. I've seen it so many times. We've, we've seen the it, first yeah. one oh, too many times to count. So <laughs> I may be a little burned out from that yeah. one. But uh, so I'm a Lord of the Rings guy. Okay. So I love the first of Fellowship of the Rings mine. Uh, well, what about the most influential book or person? So that's a podcast, anything. Who are you listening to? What are you reading? What's something you kind of go back to? Or you would be the first to recommend to somebody? Yeah, so um, I, I am consistently on a journey to consume more content because I think that there's a lot of learning that comes from books and podcasts. And um, it's not a strength of mine, to be honest. But I'm going to go with what two things that kind of just come immediately to me is I'm a big Malcolm Gladwell fan. Um, so revisionist history is his podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, it just challenges the way that people see things and see things that people are commonly affecting, accepting as fact mm-hmm. that maybe he is challenging the way that people are, are seeing things. And that's what we try to do a lot here at the business and here with the nonprofit is challenging what people's perspectives are. Yeah. So I really like that. Um, Super popular podcast right now that I, I'm sure at least a lot of people in my circle are, are listening to is is the I forget the exact title but it's the one about Mars Hill the rise and fall yes so I'm trucking been, through it I've been listening to that I'm up to date I'm ready for the last five episodes it's like number four in the na- in the world what, what is it most listened to so uh, <laughs> Driscoll's Church out in Seattle okay Mars Hill. Um, basically just kind of how it came to be and, and what led it to its demise. And it's it's led by journalists from CT, from Christianity Today. Okay. And so yeah. It's really okay. good interview it's like, style. It's like a docu-podcast kind it of is. thing? It is. Yep. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's been That's really cool. interesting. Some of the speakers they brought in and um, just kind of the way that I, I, I'm a big focus. I, I focus a lot on culture. Um, that's really one of my, my main focuses here at Raising a Voice is like building a culture that can develop the the staff, that can develop the community that is attractive to other people. Yeah. Um, and really what they talk a lot about is often the unhealthy nature mm-hmm. of church culture um, and, and how that has been reinforced and, and developed over over the years. Yeah. And so they're specifically focusing on, on the Mars Hill story of that, but happens in a lot of places yeah. as well. Nice. Yeah. Nice, nice. It's a good one. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. So, Will, it's been a long day. You... Uh, just had a long day and you're like, your wife texts you, what do you want to eat? And it's that go-to comfort meal. Okay. So my wife and I 
are, are creatures of habit when it comes to eating. Um, so I'm going to give some, some shout outs to some local restaurants that we love. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so we are huge fans of Barley's. Um, there we go. Pizza? What are you yeah, getting? Yeah, yeah. pizza. Hey, uh, orange okay. and white every orange time. Orange and white? What's yeah. on that? It is buffalo chicken. Nice. Um, so barbecue sauce. Um, it's great. It's also very close to our house. Um, so Barley's is one. Uh, uh, probably an unhealthy obsession we have is with Sono Taco. Mm. We're there yes, sir. all the time. Um, I used to live like a block from there. Yep. Yeah, that would be Their that would be very, very dangerous for us. So those are probably our go-to restaurants. Uh, just in general, pasta, pizza are kind of yeah. go-tos. They're easy to make. They're easy to prepare. Comfort foods for me. I am also a very big sweets fan. So mm. um, I love gummy worms. That's like <laughs> yeah. gummy worms. That's sour awesome. ones. Or I'll it. take them all. I trolleys. trolleys like, yeah. I mean, I am very partial to the Target local brand, whatever that. Just market pantry. Market yeah. pantry. It's worms. it's awesome. Sweet. So those are good. That's my go-to. But then kind of another local businesses. I mean, we go to Cruise Farms a yeah. lot. Um, yeah. So they have gummy worms. They don't have gummy worms, but they have good uh, sorbet, sherbet, whatever you want to call it. Things lactose intolerant podcast host. <laughs> That's me. When he said pizza, I was like, uh, mic off, mute. <laughs> yeah, just kidding. Uh, uh, the vegan alternative cheese. And I got one more. Um, we're hoping to get out of this hot weather. I'm doing whatever I can these next few weeks to just push fall. Come on, okay. uh, let's go. Fall podcast, fall foods. So Maybe or even just football. Yeah, or even fall activities. So, but what is like? your favorite uh this is more seasonal like your favorite fall drink dish okay things of this sort so i love pumpkin pie Come on. so that's that's, that's I'm good probably favorite dish I'll, I'll let you kind of in on a little secret there is maybe not all times of the year but we pretty much have pumpkin here at likewise all the time because of that, um, the, f- the flavor well, actually, for the drinks. Yes, for the, the flavor for the drinks, the syrup. So year round, pumpkins. Pumpkins an option here. Uh, my wife loves pumpkin lattes, anything like that. They're good. Um, so so PSL is not a season around here. Yeah, it's a, it may it's it may round. go back to the secret menu, but they always it's have it. It's still there. You got to uh, you know. It's awesome. You know. <laughs> it's awesome. I won't say the whole pumpkin pie in a sitting by cutting the smallest slices. Just like, oh just, man, just one so more. Good. Just yeah. one more. That's breakfast. Yeah, growing and up, dessert. growing up for me, my grandmother would always make a pie for the family pumpkin pie, and then I would always get my own pumpkin pie to take home. So there you go. This is it. That's it. Will and his pumpkin pie. He said his grandmother was very influential in his yeah. formation, faith, pumpkin, pumpkin pie, pie loving yeah. everything. Well, it. Will, thank you so much for the rapid fire question. Hopefully, I wasn't too slow. No, that actually was faster than most. Yeah, that's pretty good. So I'm curious, as, as you reflect a little bit, you talk about having an, an intentional focus on the culture around us, the culture you're creating here. You even mentioned that in the podcast you're listening to. Um, what, do you, what do you see? Here we are, Will, in 2021. For those that are listening 10 years later, <laughs> Christian, that's how long this podcast is going to be around. We're just going to keep on going. Maybe. <laughs> the, the pandemic just happened. Y'all remember that COVID-19 in 2020, right? So we're going to act like this is really long from now. But Will, so much is happening in culture. It seems like on a dime, it's changing every day um, with everything, the polarization over every issue from right now, it's currently Afghanistan and uh, back to COVID spiking and vaccine, not va- you know, all that stuff. What would you say is aspects of leadership that is just a deficit in our culture? And if you could, if you could drive this one home, if you could communicate it to your mm-hmm. friends every day, what would you focus on? Uh, I think what, what I really try to pride 
myself and our staff on, and I think that is often missing is intentionality. Um, I think people often lead without the end user in mind. Um, and so they're, what, they're basic, what they're making their decisions is often wayward from what their actual end user looks like. So for us, I mean, that's how, if we are thinking what does Will need or what does Katie need or what does Lindley or Sarah or Rainer or some of our other staff need, like their needs are going to be very different than the women's needs that we serve. Um, so we are intentionally building programs. We're intentionally doing outreach. We're intentionally building relationships with that end user in mind, not ourselves in mind. Um, I think that's often so, so missing. Um, you know, here, here at Likewise, like what, what I share with a lot of people is our, our goal is not to, to make all the profit in the world. Like that, that's not like, uh, that's not our goal. Our goal is to build community and to provide jobs and to build and to have some revenue stream for the nonprofit, but they're, they're all equally weighted. And so when you have an intentional and focused goal, all of your decisions are based out of that. Um, so that impacts the way that we hire here. That impacts the way that we have our prices. It impacts where our location is. Um, it's, it's impacting everything, right? And when you don't have an intentional focus on something, you're not basing your decisions on, you're, you're basing your decisions on the wrong thing and then you're often going to make the wrong decision or you're going to have the, not the most effective approach because you're lacking what, what, what intentionality is in, for, in terms of moving forward and in terms of accomplishing the goals that you're wanting to accomplish. If you're intentional about that, um, I think that you'll, you'll often see a lot more success. That's so good. That sounds a lot like our staff meeting today at Kiko, yeah. uh, what we've been talking about with our youth as well. Um, just, yeah, having, not just doing program to them, right? I mean, or a, a ministry even to folks, but we want to do it with people. Yeah. Uh, and it has to do with what's meaningful and valuable, meeting their needs, meeting right? Their needs. And so you got to gotta get in there and figure out what is yeah. that? You don't want them just to tolerate so it. So good. Yeah. Yeah. So one more thing, I was just curious, kind of as you were thinking over um, just the things you've learned over the past few years and running this business and ministry, what would you go back and tell young Will? What would you tell the young buck just getting out of uh, grad or undergrad school, going on that first trip to Thailand? What are there nuggets of just truth and, and learning that you would p- want to pass on so that he didn't have to wait so long to learn it? Yeah, I, I think one of the things that I'm continuing to learn and hopefully can always continuing to learn is, is challenging the status quo. Um, people think that things have to be done in certain ways. People think that the founder of a, of a, of a nonprofit that works with vulnerable women has to be a counselor or has to be a social worker or people tell us that, Hey, a business in East Knoxville isn't sustainable. Um, but when you, when you start to challenge the status quo, you start to realize how big the world is, I'd say. Um, you start to realize that things can be done very different than what people are, are doing them currently. I, I think it's honestly one of the things that I love about the generation that's coming up now and, and my generation as well is there, there's a very inherent value to make an impact in the world. And there is the creativity that's being promoted and not just creativity as form of art, but, you know, creativity in business, creativity in operations, creativity in, in just the way that, that you live your life. When you're challenging the status quo, you often see that there's a lot more ways to do business. There's a lot more ways to run a nonprofit. There's a lot more ways to impact a community or impact people. 
um, than what's been done before. And so I, I would probably go back and tell myself, hey, it doesn't always have to be done the exact way that you've always seen it done. Be willing to make it look different and be willing to use your skills, be willing to use your passion, be willing to put in the the hard work. There's There's a lot of, you know, late nights for me and there's been a lot of heartbreak and turmoil and anxiety and but there's also been a lot of celebration and a lot of victory and a lot of um just opportunity to to give praise to god for what's been done but it doesn't always have to look the way everybody expects it to look if you're doing everything the way that people expect it to be done you're going to end up with the same type of outcomes that have always happened yeah Yeah. and when you do things differently you're going to see different results and it's going to challenge the way that people think things can be done and it's going to encourage people to continue to do them in a different manner than than they've seen done before yeah that's so good so as you're challenging the status quo are there some things that over the next five years you just kind of have on your target list like i don't know are new things in east knoxville in this community are you going to other cities around the states or Uh, other countries beyond rwanda which you just mentioned i'm I'm curious I i think we're uh, like I said, we're we're looking and focusing on programs that not only benefit the women that we already serve, but benefit the community as a whole. Um, a program that uh, I, I've seen change lives from from the inside out um, is, is Celebrate Recovery. I'm a big Celebrate Recovery fan. Uh, that's something that we we're hoping to bring to East Knoxville. You know, a, a lot of our women face addiction and face uh, some of the things that Celebrate Recovery deal with but um if you bring it to east knoxville if you bring it to this community that they're in they have the opportunity to benefit from it but also the rest of the community and the rest of people in east knoxville and so i think that's that's types of programs that we're looking to to develop further is programs that in tandem help our women and serve our women but also help the community at large um, and so we're, we're definitely, I think, an organization that's always willing to, to peek behind the door and see, hey, is this something that we feel like we can pull off? Is this something that we're passionate about? Is this something that, that we feel like is feasible? We're, uh, we're, we're not super quick to say no. We're always, hey, God, what are, what are you saying? What are you calling us to? Do we know the people or do we have the people or do we have the, the passion or do we have the resources and the capacity to pull this off? And if so, let's go after it. Um, and let's, you know, once, once we commit to something here at Raising Voice, we're, we're going after it full force. And so we're really looking to, to develop a residential component to our, to our ministry. Um, we've gotten to the point where we've built a lot of trust and built a lot of relationships with women coming into the drop-in center. But at the end of the day, it's a day program where we're serving women and they're ready to take the next step. Um, and we're often finding a lack of opportunities for them to take that next step because of criminal records or active addiction or just different life scenarios. So we're really looking to kind of build a residential program in tandem with a workforce development program as well so that they can have a solid foundation and a solid infrastructure of housing and of work history so that they can really move forward as you know productive members of society that are giving back that are being able to support themselves and their families because they have the opportunity to have that support structure but they also have the opportunity to have some stability which they often haven't had in their life so that they can move forward 
That's so, so incredible. That's exciting. Yeah. That's really exciting. Yeah, I love to celebrate recovery coming to, coming to this area. This is where I grew up. Yeah. Man, I would love to see one um, right here in our community and then at uh, the residential facility. That's that's that sounds awesome. Sounds awesome. I was about to say rock awesome. Rock awesome. I haven't said that in a long time. Let's, let's we'll just take skip it. that. Let's just <laughs> pretend like I was not going to say that. Will, I just want to thank you again so much for just coming on, sharing a little bit about yourself, your story, how God is using you in the community that you're impacting and creating both uh, both of those ways here in East Knoxville. And um, so we're excited. I can't wait to hear from our listeners. So be sure and email us, podcast at kicko, that's K-I-C-K-O dot org, O-R-G. You'll see it in the show notes wherever you are listening to this. And until next time.